Welcome to the Ninja Lane Podcast. In this episode, we talk about Duke Nukem Forever, some of our favorite Asus products, and we dip into the reader mailbag. I'm your host, Dennis Garcia, and with me today, I have Darren McCain. So Duke Nukem Forever just came out this last month. That's right, that's right. You know, this is one of the games that really highly anticipated and one that I've always wanted. Well, it's been, what, 14, 16 years, something like that? Uh, maybe 12 or something. <laughs> I, I'm not really sure the exact date, but I can actually tell you when I remember hearing about Duke Nukem Forever. Okay. I was, I was in college. You know, I think I was rocking a maybe a, a 486 box back then. Yeah, those are the days. Yep. Before 3D Accelerator, so that was Duke Nukem 3D era. And I had just finished Duke Nukem 3D. I had bought the Plutonium pack. I finished that. Actually, I had some fun with some online stuff, which you had to use Cali to get online, which was really crazy. <laughs> All right. I'd finished that game, and then they had announced Duke Nukem Forever, the fourth edition, to be out, and I think they had given themselves like a year to produce the game. Yeah, it was a, something like that. Yeah, well, back then, you know, they, these were kind of rapid development, so they were going to build it on the Quake 1 or Quake 2 engine at the time. I oh, think it was yeah. Quake 2 engine, because Quake 2 was still in development, but the engine was available. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they had released a trailer for the game, some bits and pieces of a level that they had created. So it was all Quake physics. So when things would blow up, they would shatter and they'd disappear because of the way the engine physics worked. Right. Two years passed, and they say, hey, we're going to use the Unreal Engine because Unreal had just come out. And I think what happened was that instead of using their internal engine that they were developing for Prey and some of these other projects, right. they were thinking, well, we could build a game faster if we just used another third-party engine and not have to worry about the physics aspect of it. Just build the models and build the levels and, and call it good. Yeah, I can see that. If they have limited resources, you know, they're going to have limited time to work on it. It's the way development works. Right. Opening day, I went down to the, the local Cave of Evil, i.e. Best Buy, and, <laughs> and actually uh, picked it up off the shelf. So you paid the full fifty nine ninety nine for it? I did. The reason being, I really wanted this game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I didn't splurge to get the full featured pack with a bunch of other stuff in it. I figured, well, I just need the game. So I went down there and picked it up and brought it home and, you know, after work, installed it. And I think I got in four hours that first night. Well, you know, the press in general has not been kind, which I guess is not a surprise for as long as we've had to wait for this thing. You know, one of the big things for me is, and talking it up versus some of these negative reviews, and so to me the real question is, you know, would I pay fifty nine ninety nine for it, 29 I mean, <laughs> bargain bin? Is this a borrow a copy off the internet kind of game? I mean, where does this sit? So, you know, what are you thinking having played through it? Well, it's definitely not a COD 4. Um, you know, we can go down to any one of the game stores here and see COD 4 on the shelf still. I mean, that that game still sells, which is kind of amazing. You know, it's going to be one of those games where the people that really wanted it are probably going to pay the full price, and the people that aren't really interested in it or see the bad reviews Mm -hmm. probably are going to download it. I don't think that it's going to be a, you know, a seller for the bargain bin. I think it's going to go directly from full price to no price. Well, let's talk about some of the things that I've heard about it. And I should preface by saying that I did, you know, based on your positive comments, get a chance to uh, to take a look at the game and play it a little bit from a buddy. I didn't purchase it myself. And uh, so I've put in, I don't know, maybe three, four hours over a couple of different nights. And, uh, you know, my initial impressions were not bad. I'm still kind of feeling like I wouldn't go out today and buy it. Maybe if we talk about some of those things, we can let folks decide if they agree. Okay. Maybe the first thing that I've noticed, and I've read about this in a lot of reviews too, at least through the first few levels, 
is that the game is just really very linear. And the okay. first levels especially are actually pretty nice. But every time I go to a door or try to interact with an object, it seemed like I was just disappointed with, nope, down the hallway, down the hallway. <laughs> well, the first couple of levels are inside. So you're, you know, you're in a casino or you're in his, in the Duke Tower under his throne or something like that. So yeah, that portion of it is very linear. There's certain places you can't go where you think you should be able to go. They do a Call of Duty thing where if you stand too long, it will start flashing what you're supposed to do. Yeah, I noticed that. So it's like if there's a doorknob you're supposed to touch, then you walk over to the doorknob, it's kind of flashing yellow, and you can touch it. And It's very console-y almost. Well, all games nowadays are kind of console-based. Yeah, that's true. And being that this is built on the Unreal Tournament engine, or Unreal Engine, mm -hmm. which was really... You know, it's a PC engine originally, but it got ported to consoles a long time ago. Yes, that's true. You know, I think uh, even in the manual, it has controls for the Xbox controller. Not There's no controls on how to use the keyboard. And I guess it's not that much of a crime when you consider some of the major games like Call of Duty and even Homefront that we both, you know, kind of liked mm -hmm. are pretty linear, especially in the single player game. The single player, they're trying to tell a story. Well, even in the original Quake, it was very linear. Yeah. You get to a point, you'd be able to shoot some bad guys, and then you go down a hall, and then you shoot some more mm -hmm. bad guys. Well, the problem with Duke is that you don't have any of that connect. You're going down a hall, and as they get to the end of the hall, it's like you don't really shoot anybody. You're just going down another hall mm -hmm. where you have to figure out uh, some crazy little puzzle. You know, there's a couple of levels where there's like a pipe puzzle, you know, where they're making fun of, uh, like, ribbon or something like that. Oh, okay. Yeah. One of the levels, you're shrunk down, and you're supposed to avoid some water. Mm -hmm. So it's an open kitchen and you're hopping around the this kitchen and uh, you have to figure out how to get there. If you go the wrong way, even though there's a shelf there, you can't land on the shelf. You hit a wall and you fall down. Yeah, I've noticed that. In fact, so. one of the early levels that I really enjoyed is the one where you're riding around in the RC card, another shrunken Duke moment. Yep. Maybe there's a pattern here, <laughs> but uh, you're riding around in the casino, which sounds really exciting. The levels are pretty large, except for you can't go anywhere but the one direction, and it's always 10 or 20 feet of floor and then a ramp that jumps you to the next section, yep. and then 10 or 20 feet of floor and then a ramp that jumps you to the next section, as opposed to just opening up the whole floor and letting you drive this thing around which I think would have been really fun. Well, yeah, you should be able to, to jump into the fire or mm -hmm. uh, jump into a statue and then fall into the fire. Yeah, or even of jump able... over some of these walls and have two or three paths. Yeah. Maybe go around the alien instead of just trying to race past it. Well, according to Gearbox, they built the game based on what 3D Realms had already planned out. Some of the early levels, and maybe you can speak to this as well, kind of feel different than some of the latter. Well, now that you mention it, um, I really felt like the best levels were right up front, visually appealing, the art direction, everything. I mean, they looked good. Yep. And my only complaint really was that I couldn't do enough in those levels. And as the levels progressed, there was a definite, maybe not a drop in quality so much as a disjointing in the style. Well, the levels kind of go away. They get really narrow. And, you know, there's one scene where you have to jump down into water and Duke says it's going to ruin his hair. Um, another <laughs> Dukeism, which we can probably talk about in a bit. But yeah, he would jump in the water and you have to go through a tube. The design of the tube is kind of lackluster. There isn't really a lot of detail there. But the monsters have a lot of detail. Huh. You know, some of the big the big guys that you have to shoot, they have like 3,000 teeth and you can actually see their teeth. Mm -hmm. So they spent a lot of time doing the models to make the models look good. But then they have you fight on a, on a bridge. <laughs> there isn't really a lot you can do on a bridge. 
Yeah, and I guess I could feel the pressure to get things to market, you know, would kind of you know, lead to cutting corners. I felt that actually a lot, which is sort of disappointing. And you mentioned the, the Duke-isms, and I think that's probably what gets the most press just from what I've read, but just even people I know that have played the game. Yeah. Duke is really a relic from another age, and they really don't make any apologies for that. And to some extent, I think that's the appeal. That's what we all remember is he was always a little irreverent and, and maybe a little risque, almost a guilty pleasure. And you've played through the whole game, but what I really felt like was the Duke-isms were kind of constant. It wasn't like a surprise. It was like every time I killed somebody, I got some kind of silly remark to the point of repetition. It felt so forced. <laughs> it was. Um, you know, in, in Duke Nukem 3D, I remember going in some of the latter levels where you would run into the girls that were, you know, aliens stuck to the wall. If you went up and actually activated the girls, they would they would flash you. That's one of those things that if you hadn't gone around and tried to interact with stuff in the in the level, you wouldn't know that it happened. Well, even during that time, he only said something the first time he did it. Right. You could go around and do it as many times as you want. He wouldn't say anything. Well, in forever, whenever you ran into something, you know, like there was some uh, some boobies on the wall, and if you smacked them, he would say something. Well, every time you smacked them, if you ran into another one, you would he would say something else. You would oh, yeah. only get your uh, ego boost the first time, but he would say something every time he did it. So obviously it was canned. It shouldn't have been. It should have been a... Oh, you know, one-time thing. Yeah, I liked when Duke's irreverence or his flipping off the bad guy or whatever was kind of a just a random surprise every so often. I know even the death sequences seemed so programmed. Every bad guy, it seemed like, had a, you could go up and finish them. Now, actually, that was one thing that I did really like about the game was the finishing move. For instance, in, in 3D, you know, you could shoot a monster like four or five times. He might go down once, and then you turn around, he would come back up and start shooting you again, and you'd have to shoot him again. Now, I remember a bunch of pit cops coming after me, and I was uh, in that right outside the Duke Dome, oh, right before okay. I go back yeah. in, and, you know, he had to jump into a, into a trailer, and then some more pit cops came out, and as you started fighting them, you know, I'd be blasting with shotguns or whatever, and a couple of them would be choking and want me to finish them off. I'd go over there and just kind of punch them, and then I could, I'm firing at the same time, so there's a lot of action going on. Blood's going everywhere, and... And uh, sadly, my son was watching me, and uh, he went nuts. He just loved it. But it's fun stuff like that that actually makes the game playable. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to go down a certain path, or you can't jump on top of a fence or climb over a fence or even knock down a fence, uh, well, stuff like that. Yeah, I guess I expected it to be a little in my face, and it, it definitely was. It was just, uh, I think, a bit much. You know, we talked a little bit about the level of the humor being almost a South Park level. Yeah. I think everybody agrees that if you go into it expecting that, you're going to have a better experience. Yes. And I definitely agree with that, but I did feel like it was sort of rubbing my face in it, to be honest. It was. It The Dukeisms really should be something you discover. Mm -hmm. um, you can do the toilet humor, the, the South Park approach to everything, but if they escalated it this much for Duke Nukem Forever, and they think, well, maybe we can do a fifth one. Right. What's going to happen then? Are they going to go really over the top, or are oh, they going to yeah. go back and, and actually kind of tone it down a bit? And if they tone it down, people are going to get upset. Well, and that's actually one of the good arguments for purchasing the game that I've heard is, well, this may not be the best Duke experience, but you got to support the franchise in hopes that they take the best parts of Duke forever and maybe make another one that isn't some 16-year disjointed affair. <laughs> and I can see the benefit of that, but, I mean, ultimately, I think when it boils down to it, to me, 
Duke is that relic. It's in my face enough that I really can't help but say it's a bargain bin game for me. I kind of look for it there. If it's staying around that long, then obviously enough people bought it to, to keep making it and keep selling it. I agree. So this podcast is going to be a little different. We're going to give away a motherboard. All right. Our friends at Asus have supplied us with a P8Z68 Deluxe motherboard for the Sandy Bridge. Very nice. It's actually very similar to some of the P67s that we've already reviewed, so you can check those out on the website. Now, Darren, how would somebody enter to win this thing? Well, this is an easy contest. It's all about what we like about Asus. All you need to do is go out to the contest forum. It will also be listed in the show notes. And take a moment to just tell us about your favorite Asus product, either a product that you own or have owned, or maybe just a product that you've always wanted. Tell us a little bit about it. And then just PM Red Max or Dennis here with the uh, product and one of the products that we talk about in this podcast. And those two products will get you entered to win this beautiful motherboard. Awesome. Now, registration for the forum has always been free. Just confirm your email address and your setup. Good luck, guys. Over the years, we always have these go-to products, the ones that we always go to. You know, they always have kind of a common name. And for me, it happens to be Asus. Yeah, and I couldn't agree more. And I thought maybe what we could do is talk about what our favorite Asus products were and why we like them. Okay, that sounds good. So what happens to be your favorite? Thinking about Asus products over the years, I've used a lot. For me, my favorite happens to be in my backup machine right now. It's uh, Asus P5K3 Deluxe Wi-Fi AP Edition. Like, wow, that's a, that's a really long name. Yeah, it's funny how they do that. This was one of the premier 775 motherboards with the P35, did the DDR3, Crossfire. I mean, just a loaded motherboard. Yeah. Now, I remember the P35. It actually overclocked really well. Uh-huh. It's very stable, and actually, it handled anything you threw at it in terms of a chipset. That was, I think, what really drew me to it. It was a very expensive motherboard at the time, but it was full feature. I mean, it even came with a remote control for the multimedia, uh, had the Wi-Fi built in. I mean, the whole nine yards. One of the reasons that this product is near and dear to my heart and still sits in my desk today in my backup machine is just how consistently dependable the performance was. Anytime I have problems with my review machines or even my gaming machine, I know that that Asus machine with the Q66 is going to do everything I needed to do, no complaints, and it runs like a dream. You know, I think you even brought that over to a LAN party. I have. It makes a great machine even now as a backup or a loaner at LAN parties. You know, I just can't say enough about that motherboard. I will probably have it for a long time. How about you, Dennis? What's your favorite? Well, my favorite is actually a recent purchase that I've made, and it's the Asus EP121 Slate. Yeah, great machine. We're on it now. <laughs> yeah, we're recording the podcast on it live. <laughs> I bought this thing specifically for Computex, so I could carry it around in my bag and have a light computer that I could do live updates from the show floor. It was light enough that I could carry it around. It was just like a, a regular notebook. The tablet comes with a Core i5, so it's plenty powerful. You know, I can run Photoshop, Illustrator at the same time. It comes with Wi-Fi, so I can access the internet anywhere I go. It even has Bluetooth, so I was able to tether it to my cell phone. So when I was in the airport and I really didn't have a good wireless connection, I could still get online, check my email, and do everything. 
Well, it sounds like a great product. And, you know, we've all had a lot of different Asus products that we've liked. So if we haven't talked about one of yours, which is pretty easy to do, drop by the forums at ninjalane.com and tell us about your favorite Asus product. So, Darren, last podcast, we announced that we had a email address for the podcast. Mm-hmm. And we've gotten a few responses. So... uh what do we got there? Well, yeah, well, hey, first, we appreciate always the feedback, even when it's silly stuff, like some of the things that we've got here. So one of the most frequent questions that we get, Dennis, both in the forums and via email, is why is the site called Ninja Lane? I get that question a lot, <laughs> kind of for an obvious reason, because uh, Ninja Lane is not really tech-related. You know, you get some of the other tech sites, and they have tech, or hardware, or o'clock, or whatever, something right. like that in the name. And... Ninja Lane just kind of stands out. Well, it is named after my motorcycle. I go into a little bit more detail in the About article on the website, so you can actually check that out in the show notes. But basically, back in the Windows 95 days, you could rename the network neighborhood icon. And I thought, hey, let's just come up with something fancy. So I called it Ninja LN for Ninja Lane. And the name just kind of stuck with me. And when I bought my first domain, that's what I called it. There you go. NinjaLane.com. <laughs> All right, next question. Uh, last podcast, we talked a little bit about the Asus Transformer. And since tablets are kind of hot right now, one of our viewers or readers... Listeners, has, actually, in Listeners this case. has asked, Hey, do you guys still like the Transformer, or do you wish you had an iPad 2? I know, uh, Dennis, you recently picked up a Transformer in your house, so maybe you could answer that. Well, we acquired one, yes. The uh, the wife went out and wanted to have a small little tablet device after seeing that I have this fancy Asus Slate. She wanted something that she could carry around and surf the web and uh, play her Facebook games on. But yeah, she went and picked up a Transformer. Well, they're not that easy to find even still, so she had good luck. Yeah, she did. Well, yeah, it's like Walmart and all the other places that normally carry this the Transformer were out. But ironically, she found one there. Well, you know, I had, I think when we last talked, two Transformers, and they apparently have spent a little too much time together because now I have three and a docking station. What were they doing? Uh, (laughs) I got to tell you, my daughter uh, has spent enough time on mine and my wife's Transformer, and she's five, by the way, that we went and bought her a tablet, and initially we tried a nut color, and it just really didn't work out. And that's a story for another podcast, maybe. Yeah. Great product, but not a good match for my daughter. Let's put it that way. Okay. So we were in there returning that at our local Best Buy, and they happened to have a 16-gig transformer just coming off the truck, so we bought her one of those. (laughs) But uh, it's her first experience on her own PC, so who knows? Maybe someday she'll be an overclocker herself. Cool. So what's the next question? Well, this is also about a previous podcast. How come uh, there's no plans for e3 or pax that is also a good question and one that i get to field every once in a while the computex show is one that i pay for myself and really i can only afford one major trip a year that happens to be it well we have actually talked about going to pax and it hasn't quite worked out for the timing between work and family but it is on the list, and we're trying to make that happen, and who knows? Maybe next year. What's next? Next question. So the site is very focused, especially recently, on high-performance machines, and I think that's why we got this question. 
We've talked a lot about our overclocking machines, but do we also dabble in other machines like home theater PCs or multimedia boxes? The answer to that is yes. And yes for me also. What do you have? Well, let's see. We have a home theater PC hooked up to the big TV in the home theater room, actually. And I posted that project on the website. And uh, that's the silent machine. And actually, we've been playing Blu-rays in there and... It's no louder than just a regular DVD player, which is kind of nice. And then my main system is actually an old mod that I've done. In this particular case, I built a little fan bus on the back. And when I game, I need to go and turn the fans on to keep it cool. Those fans are turned off, and it's as quiet as possible. For me, in my house, I've used home theater PCs in the past, but most recently, I've moved back to streaming through my PlayStation 3. So with... Now, three laptops and three transformers and miscellaneous wireless devices and multiple PCs. Lately, it seems like most of my non-enthusiast time is spent working on wireless networking. Okay, kind of in a similar vein, the next question is, you know, other than dinking with PCs, I guess, is a paraphrase, what other hobbies do we have that keep us busy? I think Darren has a little bit more of a social life than I do. So I'm going to let you go first. A lot of folks maybe have seen in the forums, but I am a pretty serious paintballer. In fact, I played on some competitive teams. And now that I've gotten a little bit older, I've kind of eased off on that. I play paintball as often as I can. I'm trying to be a little less competitive this year, but I, I think I have maybe as many paintball guns as I have computers. <laughs> you know, I, I've seen some of those, and they're, uh, what is that, that fancy one? It's called an angel? I've got, well, I've got three angels. And I've got a couple of uh, eagles, which is my gun of choice these days. Well, much like computers, you're also a modder of the paintball gun, right? I do. I like to tweak them, upgrade their boards, uh, mess with the mnemonics, and get a little help sometimes with upgrading laser eyes. So I can't help but tweak even with my paintball guns. And your hobbies? I have several of them. When I'm not working, I try to make it out to the course and actually play a little bit of golf. Yeah, I know you've been talking about even getting more serious about your golf lately. Well, I'm trying, but uh, unfortunately my schedule doesn't allow me to get into the competitive aspect as much as you. Right. Every year they have the Boise Open, which is actually part of the Nationwide Tour. And my goal, my golf goal, I should say, is to play in the qualifier for that. I don't really have any dreams to actually play (laughs) in the Boise Open, but I would like to play in the qualifier. When I'm not on the course, I... Do a little bit of uh, motorcycle riding, which is where, you know, that Ninja Lane comes from. And I have an S10 Extreme Lowrider that I've been modifying slowly and surely, which I'm going to be starting on some projects, which I'm going to be posting in the forum, so you can go and follow what I'm doing. So we do things besides overclocking and uh, reviews, but sometimes it doesn't always show. Anyway, these are some great questions, and we'd love to hear more from you, so... If you have any odd questions for Dennis or myself, text or post in the forums and we'll uh, do our best to answer them either there or on a future podcast. For more information on the topics discussed in this podcast, please consult our show notes. If you have any questions, drop by the forums or email us at podcast at ninjalane.com. Stay up to date on the latest at Ninja Lane by subscribing to our RSS, now available on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter or join us on Facebook. This has been a Ninja Lane production, copyright 2011. Thanks for listening.
even the bike goes fast, right? <laughs> it does. <laughs> <laughs>